once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 70. As always, a gentle reminder. Gentle, very gentle, to download, share, tell a friend, rate and review our little podcast here so that we can spread the word. You know what I mean, Jellybean? Thank you for all those who have tuned in. Thanks for those who check out my library of podcasts. It's a good feeling that it's there. It's comforting to know those conversations will last forever for your listening pleasure. This week, a lot to get to as we wrap up everything in Europe. We will join, we will be joined by Casey Keller making his second appearance on the show. We'll talk about the squad the United States are putting together for their four match stretch in June. We will uh, talk about Jesse Marsh. Jesse Marsh keeping Leeds United afloat, as I predicted here. And they did it, in the end, with some comfort. We'll talk about that, and I'll have my little opinion as well. And then, uh, in a stoppage time, we will take a look at the disturbing trend of pitch invasions where fans are attacking players in England. Not pointing fingers to any part of the world. This is in England. And they've got to fix it. And they've got to take drastic measures because this was embarrassing. These last couple weeks, last few days, what we've seen were multiple incidents all over the country happened. So we have a jam-packed show. So I will pause here and get the party started. back and um we'll talk to casey about jesse marsh but that was a a remarkable final sunday championship sunday in the premier league i hope you got your fill of that started at eight o'clock and got up i don't like to get up too early i watch a lot of games either extended highlights the early early games i gotta be realistic and uh, i'm flying a fair bit by the way flying you know the things that always bother me is people on twitter complaining to airlines and tagging them and then like some bot responds to them and go we're sorry about your flight experience we'll get back to you or whatever it is i never want to be that guy but this past few days uh i've been really pushed to the limit it's scary because they're so understaffed i i'm not gonna even mention that but a major airline i get on the plane i go to la and miami a lot to call combate global check it out on paramount plus it's a good fun mma mucho mas acción and then there, uh, I also go call Libertadores and some games. U.S. Open Cup, I'll be traveling there this week to call LA Galaxy LAFC, which I'm very excited about. But you have to call it over there in Fort Lauderdale. Long story. But look, I'm not, making, I'm not taking shots at the way we do business. It's a really efficient way of doing it. To call games off monitors, you can do it a lot more. You know, there's a dollar sign attached to broadcasting. So in order to get more games out, and we get a lot of games out in this country, more than anywhere else in the world, it seems. The, this, is the, this is the way you got to do it. But getting back to the airlines. First airline said that uh, after we seated that they didn't have a captain, which I means I imagine means a main pilot, right? That's what the captain is. That's why your co-pilot, you need a captain. So I'm like, that's odd. So this is a 1 a.m. flight. I got off. They said they'll go at 2. Couldn't find anybody. They rescheduled it to 11. I had to get there earlier. So I jumped on a 7 a.m. flight that connected in Austin. Made it to Austin. When I got to Austin, they didn't have uh, flight attendants. They finally arrived. I'm like, okay, flight back. Flight back from Miami to LA. They had another pilot that couldn't come in. And I'm like, I can't miss flight. Thankfully, they did get somebody. But I, this, it's some, it's some guy off another jet who already just flew and he got in. Thank goodness for him. And he got us in safe. But it's it's harrowing. You don't know what you're going to hear next. But it's every, every time flight. I'm, I'm going to stop about that. Let's talk about Jesse Marsh. And look, in this country, we talk about American soccer. I don't want to keep harking about Jesse Marsh or Americans abroad, but that's, for lack of a better expression, what gets clicks. That's what people want to talk about in this country. I like to talk about everything. I want to show that I have the knowledge. And man, I put a lot in there. Not only can I tell you what happened a week ago, I could tell you what happened 20 years ago because I have a library in my cranium. Uh, I've earned that and I'm very proud of it. So, uh, you know, people don't want to hear about my Lionel Messi take, even though I've been right about Lionel Messi for the last five years. I mean, by the way, that Kylian Mbappe move, they basically gave him the club. And look, I'll give you, I know you don't want to hear my Lionel Messi, but this is going to be a really rough season for him. It's Mbappe's club. It's still a little bit of Neymar's club. 
Lionel Messi is it feels like persona non grata. I mean, he obviously had a, a rough season here, but I I hope I hope he does well because this is obviously a World Cup year. Argentina have a shot in Qatar, and he's obviously focused on that. But uh, the PSG reigns are in other hands, and that's not changing. Barcelona's much better since they left, as we talked about. Let's get back to Jesse Marsh again. <laughs> so um, I got to talk about American stories. Again, we want to be thorough. So, you know, I, I hear folks going, well, it's not a big deal. He took over a team that was in 16th, sorry, 17th, and they finished in 17th. Okay, okay. It's not a huge accomplishment in the big picture. So many managers keep guys up. He didn't win a title. I understand. And people are trying to say, why are you going crazy about this? I go, this is because it's the first. This is the first American coach to go over and do something in the Premier League, a major league, because we haven't had it in the Serie A. We haven't had it in La Liga. We haven't had it in the Bundesliga, we, even though Jesse Marsh was there. But nothing like this kind of accomplishment. Jesse Marsh obviously had a horrible go in Leipzig. Did very well at Red Bull Salzburg. Had some Champions League results, which uh, distinguished him. But in the Premier League, it wasn't supposed to happen. This is why we had these Ted Lasso remarks and why, you know, he was under so much scrutiny for having a huddle. And it, you're, like in a, you're like in a trench together as an American. So I get very defensive about our American product, our American coaches, our American players, American referees, American broadcasters. So this has never happened. And he was pressed and he needed to get a result on Sunday and they got it. They got a win at Brentford. They got a result in their penultimate game. They did what they needed to do. And he fixed a very leaky situation. And now he's going to get a full preseason. He's going to get a full market. We talked about it last week. If he goes there, Americans would follow. $30 million Brendan Aronson transfer being mentioned or very close to being finalized. It seems like other Americans might head there. Uh, Georgi Mihalovich was one guy that was mentioned. But more Americans, it could be t- Leeds United. So this is already reaping benefits for Americans. And by the way, they had to pay that transfer fee for Brendan Aronson because other clubs want him. Other clubs are in the market for Brendan Aronson. That's the price. By the way, MLS has got to make sure they vet these transfers. They can't sell Alfonso Davies for 12 and then see his value go to $80 million and Brendan Aronson sold for eight, seven, eight million, and now go up to thirty million in a year and a half. So, yeah. But back to Jesse Marsh. <laughs> We've never seen this. This is something that hasn't happened. And my heart gets warm because so many American coaches that have started coaching five-year-olds, six-year-olds in parking lots in the middle of winter with nothing. Uh, with no support, coming right after work. It's hard. We know about the players, but let's focus on the coaches here. They never think there's a pathway to coaching in the Premier League and playing in a game of that significance. It was all for our eyes to see. It was all there. When that Jack Harrison goal went on and Jesse Marsh got to go to the ground and embrace uh, an accomplishment. And all these coaches all over this country could look at that and say, I can do it. It's possible. Because someone has to be first. And this is the reality. The Premier League was mostly British managers. It was British managers for the longest time, as you would imagine it would be. And then Arsene Wenger comes through. And then Jose Mourinho. And then Pochettino. You have Jurgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel. And the first German does well, so they go hire German again because it works. The first Argentine, Manuel Pellegrini, who's Chilean, Uh, these guys go in there and they show that they can coach and perceptions are erased. This is erasing perceptions about the American coach and the methodology because the players, on all accounts, love Jesse. And now there is a path that other coaches can proceed and and succeed in Premier League where it at one time seemed like science fiction. That's important. That's why we celebrate this with Jesse Marsh. And I couldn't be any prouder and now excited to see where it happens. I mean, they could get relegated next season, but you can't take away these last couple months and what he was able to do and how much it means, not only by staying in the Premier League, these parachute payments, it's so much for the club. Leeds United are on cloud nine. You can see by the celebrations. Everyone is uh, overwhelmed by staying up. 
It was an incredible advertisement for promotion and relegation, too. We've got to say that. But that was a special, special moment for Jesse Marsh. And I can't wait to see who the next guy is. And there's some good, there's some good options to be that next guy. Because, you know, barriers are being broken. Foreign managers now include the Americans. Fantastica. I mean, we saw the relegation and the avoidance of relegation in Spain. In, in England, in Spain, Cadiz and Mallorca staying up. It was, it was pulsating. Promotion and relegation stole the day. Even with Manchester City and Aston Villa. Look, Jesse Marsh gets ridiculed. Steven Gerrard, uh, he got the tactics wrong in that game. They laid a low block after they went up to zip and they paid a price. That's poor management. But he's never had to go through what Jesse Marsh has had to go go through because he's a legend. You see? So Jesse Marsh did something great. Even though we may look amateurish as Americans because we're talking about it endlessly. People go, why are you talking about Jesse Marsh? Because that's us. That's ours. We have struggled with this sport for so many years. When I started in the sport, I would have thought that was an impossibility to not get in that position and succeed, but to actually even be considered as a coach. It would be laughed out of a room. Not anymore. Coming up, it's the business end. We will be joined by Casey Keller. Stick around for stoppage time where we will uh, talk about the pitch invasions. And make sure you check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. I have a new video out there which will talk about the entire U.S. men's national team roster heading into the month of June. Stepping inside the business end, a lot to talk about as it applies to American soccer. So we bring in an American soccer icon. And he's on the second time on this program, which, you know, I am keeping tabs. So former U.S. Men's Men's International, former Millwall, former Rayo Vallecano. You were getting getting so much love on the Rayo Vallecano calls for La Liga on ESPN and ESPN+. Well, I mean, I mean, it's it's fun. I'm sorry. Did I say Casey Keller? I'm sorry, Casey Keller. Well, it's just fun that it's, you know, that. Uh, you know, being a part of a company that, you know, ends up, you know, buying the rights to two leagues, first the Bundesliga, then La Liga, when, you know, I had the opportunity to, you know, play in both those leagues and and have some great times and, and have a lot of fun with it. So uh, to be able to, to call Rio matches when Rio started the season so well and we're, and then, and then you have that moment where you're like, Oh boy, here could, it goes. Could such a great start go wrong. And, and then to be able to, you know, be a part of a couple of broadcasts when they come up with some remarkable wins. I was on both broadcasts when they pulled the double over Barcelona for the first time. Some, so, some great memories. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. I mean, what Radamel Falcao had a great start. He kind of, well, where well, do they yeah, finish? Yeah. Where do they end up? Uh, I think around like 13th. Okay. Like well, that. that is a drop because they were hovering more, around this big table, but, uh, but still when you're at Rio, you have one goal and your goal is to stay in the league and anything else you do over that is a bonus. And, and it doesn't matter where the points come, when they come, if they come in the first quarter of the season or the last quarter of the season, as long as you have that magic number, uh, as long as you're, you know, 17th and above, nobody really cares. So just to follow up on what you said about working at ESPN and these, look, these soccer properties uh, generally are a hot potato, especially recently. They were going to a lot of different places. It's not obviously the Premier League as they got back with NBC, but then the Bundesliga comes there. And then a real shocker was La Liga coming to ESPN. Uh, we knew that they were that they were serious about maybe getting a new partner. Were you surprised with that? Because, and by the way, I mean, I listened to both. Congratulations on a great season and to everyone who was involved um, in production or on behind the, behind the microphone as well. We've got a lot of Derek, Derek Ray and you on German. And, and it's like, but it's perfect. These are the, these are the passions you have. So um, what right. was it like to see La Liga back or return well, or going like to ESPN? It's, it's, you know, you know, Max, when you call games, the more you're able to focus on one league, it becomes that little bit easier, right? Because yes. you're, 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 we should you're all be it. doing that. You know, when you're bouncing around a little bit, it, it, it's tough. And it's, and you, it means you really have to do 
you know, that much more homework. When I had called Rio for like the sixth time, or I had called Atletico Madrid a bunch of times as well, and I called for the seventh, eighth time, it's, it's, it's a lot easier than calling a team that you've, you know, when you call like a Euros or you call a World Cup or something, and you're calling, you know, South Korea against Algeria, and you're going, all right, I got to do a little homework here because God forbid <laughs> that, that I'm watching week in and week out. So, so yeah, so there's parts of it that are that are super fun and and, and super easy, and then parts of it where, yeah, you got to do your work because well, the last thing you want to do is is not be informed. A hundred percent. And that's why I think you, the message to get across when you, when you call a game, if you're getting a game, you feel like is uh, a, not a league that you're familiar with teams that you're not familiar with. Maybe don't feel like it's as important because I'm kind of going through that. I'm I, Wednesday. Yeah. I'm going to call some Sudamericana Libertadores sure. games. I've, I'm one game is featuring Ayacucho of Peru. I've never mm-hmm. seen them play. Of course not. I'm yeah. about to watch a few bit right. of their games. My wife's right. going to look at me like I'm a Martian <laughs> as I'm watching highlight packages from their league game this past weekend and maybe their last Libertadores or Sudamericana. Right. I don't want to I don't want to be out there with my pants down. Yeah. Yeah, but I want to have that it. moment. That's terrifying. Yeah. Of course, I had it a couple of years ago where uh right before uh ESPN had picked up Bundesliga we had uh, the Svita Liga. We had the second division. And so we were calling a second division match of the weekend, uh, Ross Dyer and I. And I'm thinking, I've never watched a second division game, you know, besides when I lived there and kind of watched clips of stuff like that. But then, you know, a hamburger down and, and, uh, you know, Nuremberg and, and, you know, some, some big clubs were down and like anything, it doesn't matter who you're calling. Once you start calling some of these same teams a couple times and you then recognize characteristics of players. And I expect this guy to be able to take players on. And this guy can sometimes fall asleep defensively. And, you know, the, the easier part for me as an analyst, as opposed for you as a play-by-play guy, the majority of my job is to explain what just happened. I can't really research something that hasn't happened yet. So, so it wow. makes That's it living large right there. <laughs> right. But, well, but for you, let's say it's a slow game, or let's say there's a bunch of VAR stuff, or there's a bunch of different things. You've got to say, well, you know, this Peruvian player and his, you know, he'd scored 10 goals last year and he's only got three so far this year. You know, you got to come up with all that stuff. That's not my job. That's your job. Yeah. So I mask it over with general Peruvian information that could come in handy, which usually leans into the 1978 World Cup. Nene Kubias, as long as it's Navi not, Solano, and I just not, wax poetic well, to fill the gap. It's not your history of Peruvian product when you were in college and then, <laughs> then you'll be a lot uh, a lot safer if you stay away from that oh, it's like narco trafficking broadcasts <laughs> <laughs> well we did i did it a, a few weeks ago it was jorge wilsterman and by the way i love this stuff when i'm reading up it's just a lot of work and sometimes there's so many hours in the day but it was right. jorge wilsterman of bolivia and they play in cochabamba which is two miles up in the sky so it was an hour of altitude jokes Sure. And coca leaves and all this stuff that yeah. they, whatever, oxygen, t- it wasn't that much. But I found out who Jorge Wilstermann is. Perfect. You know, and then it's always fun to do these games at Bolivia because the ball travels. The home team has a huge edge. You yeah. can lean into that. But I love it. I love learning about it. I just wish there was 40 hours in a day so I could fill my Bolivian league port- portfolio <laughs> a little bit further. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, just, I know. Well, congratulations, man. It was awesome to see what ESPN is doing. And I really enjoy it. I know with, with. Right. I think the big part of it though, Max, and, and you asked, you know, why, you know, and, and I think the big part is because they have the mechanism to show every game. It's, it's I, an impressive thing. And I think that's, what's cool is it's not like, Oh, they're showing Barcelona again and I'm a Real Madrid fan or they're showing Real Madrid fan and I'm a Valencia fan, or I like Atletico Madrid and all they're showing it. You know, you can basically be a fan of Alaves and watch every match you can be, you know, and that's, what's cool about it. And the cool part about the way, you know, the app is mechanized 
is all they care about is somebody's watching the app. So it's it not so much what game they're watching. It doesn't it's just matter what game. It's just, okay, we're on the app and we're watching soccer or on the app and we're watching MMA or college football or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's just, you're on the app. And I think the leagues around the world love the concept that every game is getting love, that it's not just more money going to the big boys. It's guess what? If there's, you know, if there's a, a Hamburg fan in America that's upset that they haven't got out of the second division for the last four years, but guess what? I can still watch every game. And that's pretty darn cool. That is cool. And it's funny you bring up Alaves because I did watch that because to me, the most compelling game this weekend, right? because the, the top teams have already secured it was Alaves Cadiz. Yeah. And I, and it was, a, it's an incredible feeling to hit your finger. I'm on my phone. I'm in a parking lot. Cause I went for a run on the beach, sat mm-hmm. in my car and watched a bit of the game. Not the whole game. Flip, flip, Mallorca game, Cadiz. Right. right. You, you have to pinch yourself and say, this isn't real. This well, is, I remember, this is, I mean, when I was playing science Spain, fiction, well, when I was playing in Spain and in England and in Germany and wherever else, you know, I mean, it was a case where if my family wanted to watch a game, there had to be the odd broadcast game in a English pub somewhere that gets yeah. a feed from England. And on, when you're on the West Coast, you're five in the morning at an English pub in Seattle to watch, you know, Leicester play against, you know, Manchester United, where the pub is filled with 200 Manchester United fans and my family, you know, and you're just like, okay. Doesn't, doesn't warm you with comfort. <laughs> well, but now the fact that if, if, if I was playing in the leagues that I was playing in, you would, you would be able to watch every single game I played in from the comfort of your own home without any drama. And guess what? And if you missed it because of whatever reason, you didn't want to get up at 5 a.m. because you know, when you're family, there's a point when you're like, okay, yeah, I love you, but I'm not getting up at 5 a.m. to watch you play. Um, so y- you can watch it on demand and just don't look at the don't look at the score and get up. So yeah, that'll but, wreck a weekend. A 5 a.m. wake up call. I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you there. Yeah. Uh, I had to. I've, I've definitely being on the West Coast at times. I'm very thankful that my producers try to put me on the late game. And That's that nice. Was, nice. Yeah, the and problem that with the good. Germans is they don't have these late games. The Spanish do. That's so I called. So you're like lock me for Spain at noon, where when I was calling, you know, German second division games, it was between four and six a.m. in the morning. Um, and I'm like you, Max. I'm more of a night person than a morning person, and getting ready for a noon kickoff is much better than getting ready for a four a.m. kickoff. I'm telling you that right now. Old nighter, mate. Well, I'm glad. I hope everyone appreciates the shop talk. I, I always find it interesting. I think people do because they want to see uh, how the sausages are made and what's behind going the scenes, on. right? It's always it's very interesting. It's it's sometimes it's glamorous. Most of the time, it's hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. Yep. And look, no one's talking about it, which is not the case of Jesse Marsh. So, yes. I, did hey, I, I've been getting some pushback, and I talked a lot about this, and I'm very proud of what Jesse accomplished. An English friend of mine said, he started in 17th when he took over and he ended in 17th. What's the big deal? I go, I don't know. He, was, he made it. He's, they're kind of taking away some of the, the achievement. And then some of the folks at ESPN were like, just stop. I go, stop overblowing. I go, maybe we did oversell it. But I felt really good. I felt like I accomplished something. Been, <laughs> you Look, look you I'm were a trailblazer. There was no Americans. Because I mean, obviously, in, in, in pro sports, you know, things go your way, things don't go your way. And you only have so many opportunities. And obviously, Jesse, you know, goes over, stays in the in the Red Bull family, um, goes over as the assistant coach at RB Leipzig, then gets the chance, you know, in the in in RB Salzburg, has great success, some really great. good results. Big upsets at Salzburg and, and stuff like that. You know, then gets the opportunity, uh, you know, back at the at the mothership, you know, RB Leipzig, and it and it just it just doesn't it just doesn't work, right? So sometimes when it doesn't, and you don't have what I like to call is kind of like the equity of as a player, 
you know, you don't have where fans can go, oh yeah, I remember watching him play for this team and that. So as like a Steven man, Gerrard might have. Correct. Okay. Yeah. You know, Lampard obviously going to Derby or whatever. You know, there's a lot of equity there. Fans know exactly, you know, who this person is and what they've accomplished. You know, when you're when you're with like a person like Jesse, you don't have that. So you're always trying to uh, have that quick success because if you don't, you have nothing to fall back on. And so that's why when it didn't work out at RB Leipzig and he got the opportunity at Leeds. Wait, were you surprised that he got the opportunity? Do you think he was surprised he got that opportunity at Leeds? I do. Um, yeah. I think it came pretty quickly, you know, and. and I, it, it, I was not expecting. I heard some rumblings. I go, that's not coming to fruition. This is just chatter. But it right. did. Right. And it did. And, and, it, and he paid it off. You know, and, and I think the difference when you're saying, uh, yes, he, he took over in 17th, but he kept him in 17th. And again, back to my point about Ryo earlier, uh, this season at Leeds, you know, there was one goal from Christmas and one goal only, and that was to survive. And when you look at the schedule, he picked up the points early when the schedule was fairly favorable. Then they got into that, you know, that kind of that second third of the schedule that was tough and, and they struggled and they started to bounce down. But what I like seeing is in the end, they stayed up. They didn't need, you know, okay. Yeah. I mean, obviously. And they stayed up with a win on the, on on the road, on the, on the road in the final match day had won goal difference. Yeah, I get it. Okay. So they still needed a little help from Burnley. But uh, I'm proud that he was able to do it. Now what I'm interested in seeing is because you're only as good as your last game. uh, I'm really interested to see what kind of the summer transfer market looks like and how he's able to shape that team next season so they don't find themselves back in needing a result on the last day to stay in the league. And they shouldn't. They have the resources to be... Leeds is a big club. Leeds is a a really, really big club. Which which also you bring up the fact how big it was to stay up because this reclamation project where they were down low and they got back up to go right back down after two years would be. 17 years, I think. I mean, and obviously I played against Leeds all the time. And so the thought when somebody said that, that they were like in the lower divisions for 17 years, I'm like, that's just unheard of, you know, for a team that size. (laughs) They had, I mean, they were in a Champions League semi. Right. I remember watching that game. Two, back to back. Two. Yeah. That was a super team. I mean, they had some incredible players, but you're like, Leeds was off the radar. And then, I mean, new fans of the sport had no idea what Leeds was all about. So this is, the fact that it's Leeds is part of the, that makes this story very interesting. And, And a real, you know, kind of working class team, real, you know, known to be real hard nose. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, also, I mean, Look at right now, uh, when you look at uh, the new Manchester United manager, look at every transfers, when a Dutch manager comes somewhere, it's all Dutch players going there. So I always laugh that, you know, as an American. He's going to make a Team America? Any American coaches. (laughs) And... I, that's why, I mean, I think it's important, like anything that you, you have to, you have to have a level of success to then make it possible for others to follow. So I thought when, when, so when, this will help that process. So American coaches can say, hurt. it's, yeah, let's go. I look the next time they hire, they'll go, well, Jesse panned out. So right. why don't we take a chance on, well, and, and I think that's Caleb Porter, Caleb right, Orr, well, I mean, that's Greg Berhalter, or whoever. I mean, part of it is, yeah. I mean, but when you had, you know, uh, Bob was pretty short lived, obviously. Um, and then, you know, I know there was some some criticisms at Manchester United with Ragnick and, and bringing in Chris Armas and, and, and that side of it. Uh, so then, yeah, the, the last thing you want to do is then the next person get, that gets a chance isn't able to get the job done. And so that's why it's nice. Now it'll be the next step is, you know, that's 
solidifying success in being able to not only help a team stay up, but now be able to have a level of success after that and be able to, um, you know, maybe get into a league cup final or get in, you know, or, you know, finish challenge for European spots or do, you know, get there. Uh, and at the very least, don't be looking over your shoulder come March. Yeah. That's a good feeling. And yeah. we talked about building an, an American club there in some way, shape or form, but it's there's Brendan Aronson reports for 30 million, which is crazy. And there's been other Americans linked to leads and people would go, why would he do that? And I'd say, well, he has an advantage, no, by knowing the American market and these players and finding a good yeah. deal, having well, relationships with these clubs. Million, Max. I, no. mean, <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, that's, <laughs> but yes, I mean, if you can start grabbing the odd person that. But maybe get someone from an academy in an MLS club right. Look, that I he mean, has a connection. I, the person that did it probably to a level uh, that will never be seen again was what Arsene Wenger was able to do in the, in the nineties and early two thousands with Arsenal being able to bring in an unknown Thierry Henry and an unknown Nicholas Anelka and, uh, you know, and these guys that you just, it just doesn't happen anymore. And the Robert Perez's and the Freddie Lundberg's and the, yeah, I mean, what, what they were able to do, but if you can do it to, to some extent, uh, but the, but the other thing you don't want to do, because I've seen, and this is what I was referring to at Manchester United with, with Dutch managers, is you can really alienate your fan base as well by just bringing in a bunch of people. You can alienate your locker room by bringing in a group that seems to have, uh, for lack of a better word, kind of an unhealthy connection with the manager. And then it can, it can fracture your locker room. And so you have to be careful in finding the right dynamic and the right people, not just somebody that I know. Yeah. It's funny you should mention Arsene Wenger because I remember the, the Premier League was a very, British managers, top to bottom, basically. Yeah. Arsene Wenger was one of those first that opened the door for other guys like Jose Mourinho, Manuel Pellegrini, uh, Jurgen Klopp, those guys that now it's it, you get the best managers. Now, in the, world. the other way, now there's complaints in England that it's all foreign managers. It is. I mean, there might be more Americans there than uh, than English before too long. We won't get to that point. We'll make it. We'll, <laughs> well, Max, there was at one stage where one fifth of the starting goalkeepers in the Premier League were American. That's a so it was a, that would be you. Friedel, Hanneman, and Howard. Yeah. And him, Howard. Oh, that's yeah. right. What so a great the stats. We're all starting we're, one season. So we like to call those the glory days. <laughs> the glory days of <laughs> goalies. Goalkeeping, but. I remember it fondly. Yeah. Good segue because we, American players, by the way, we'd start be preparing for a World Cup here if this was a normal cycle and they'd be kicking off in a couple of weeks. The preparing the is just a lot quicker. That's all. It is. We have to wait a bit. I don't know what's going to keep us occupied. Take some time off. I have a little European trip off the air. Casey gave me some tips about hitting the Autobahn, but I won't bore <laughs> you with that. But it's the U.S. will have a camp, as everyone is. It's, it's, sure. it's a really roll-up-your-sleeves moment to prepare for the World Cup five, six months away. And 27-man roster. There is so many... Uh, less debate than usual the big one i mean I even, there's a connection obviously with german football but john brooks not on there people are a bit upset or, or really upset they want to get to the bottom of this they want to get to the bottom of why john brooks wasn't called in right and i'm, I'm like look this I'm, I'm trying to tell people this happens all over the world this is not an american thing yes where people right. get snubbed but some people say that he should be more upfront. Speaking of Greg Berhalter about not selecting him, and I'm like, yeah, but should he? Coaches, coaches are not supposed to just give this information. Well, it's 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 also what happens if two more center backs go down, and there's a point when you are Have calling no choice, folks, yeah, and you've just alienated him publicly because you made some statement or whatever. I think there's ways to do things. I'm not. You know, uh, obviously, Greg's a good friend of mine and has been for a long, long time. And everybody has their own ways of doing things. And also, everybody has their own ideas on which players you think are going to get you 
you know, to the next level. And there's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. In the end, it's about results. And Greg has to put a team together, uh, not only that can get results, but results as well come from a good squad uh, personality. You know, you're not going to, very rarely are you going to have a good World Cup if you have a bunch of infighting and you don't, and you have a, a, a group that just isn't clicking with, it's hard enough to get results when things are great, uh, but much yet when there's some sort of animosity within your group. And so coaches have different reasons for why they're, and I'm and by no means am I alluding that John Brooks is a problem at all. That's not what I'm trying to, to say. No, it, but it's, a, it's, it's, he doesn't, might, it may not be the best fit for what he's doing, Right. He doesn't fit the age profile. I mean, this is a this well, team got younger and younger through the qualification. There's 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 all we're doing is assuming unless Greg wants to tell you. And and that's the that's the tough part. Sometimes to the point that probably some listeners are talking about is if you were on front with me, then I wouldn't have to speculate. But the problem is and then even if he gave you the reason you'd still probably go, oh, that's probably not, not true. <laughs> so I'm going to speculate anyway. So it is, it's in the end, uh, look, let, let's go back to 14. And Jurgen just felt that, that the time had come for Landon to be in that yeah. squad, to not be in that squad. In the end, they got out of the group of death. Yeah. And, and he, was, he was pretty honest about the Landon, which was you know, I mean, not completely on it, but he was like, kind of, oh, this is not, he's not, he's not really the part, he's not really engaged with the team or whatever he said. I can't remember off well, the top. Yeah, whatever, whatever the reasoning that Jurgen had, but in the end, if the team had failed miserably, then there's criticism for keeping Landon off the team. When the team is successful, then you can say, Okay, maybe the coach got it right. And they and were that, successful. That was a good World Cup for the U.S. Yes, it was. And, and that's why, you know, in the end, we can all scratch ahead and go, huh, I wouldn't have picked that guy. Or I'm surprised that, you know, he's this guy's not called into the squad or X, Y, Z. But in the end, the coach has to pick who he thinks is going to get the best results and he sees something you don't see. I see something, you know, maybe he sees a, a way of playing. I would play that guy differently. You know, it's all over the shop, but uh, it's, it is interesting because we don't have, you know, the wealth. We have a good squad, but when you look at our squad, you're still looking at kids. You're still looking at guys that a lot of guys that are playing in some lower leagues around the world. And you're also looking at a, at a bunch of guys that, aren't necessarily starters not getting the minutes you would like and that's and that's okay that's yeah if, if, if you look at a lot of cl a lot why, of why is it okay just because you feel like they'll it'll, they'll still be prepared for it i mean because the goalkeeping yeah. situation is what rings in my head when i think about that because yes. you can have three go look the three goalkeepers he called up those are the three guys yeah, no, going to the world cup yeah, yeah. stefan turner um Horvath. Horvath. It's not going to be Stephen Fry. It's not going to be Sean Johnson. These are the trio. They could all be in the Premier League and they could all be backups not playing. Right. But it's that not ideal, Max. It's not way. ideal, but it's not no. panic time. No. Uh, now, but the problem is, is as a field player, how often are you getting 20 minutes here, 30 minutes there? Joseph, as a goalkeeper, you can truly go. <laughs> months without a competitive game and and you can go and you can go for a period where so much of goalkeeping is reading the game and I'm sorry you can't read a game in training the way you read a game in a match you can't replicate that uh, and, and I think that's some of the criticisms that Stefan got when I was, you know, doing these games, doing the qualifiers for ESPN. I'm looking at going, it looks to me like a guy that hasn't been playing regularly for a long period of time because it was the, it was the, it was how he, it was his decision-making, you know, shots are shots. That's easy. You're, you, that you can replicate 
in a in in training but you can't replicate that come for a cross under pressure you can't replicate you know just coming out and getting a ball just on the edge of the 18 at somebody's feet and reading that split second to come out and just get that off of somebody's feet on a through ball you know and those are the the things that you you can only replicate with regularly playing now does that mean four games five games because even in preseason you can't replicate it in friendlies and so yeah you can have a couple games going up but then you really want a couple games into the season before you're like okay or if you've been injured or if you've you know now won the spot and now you've got to run a game excuse me you you really need you know four or five games under your belt to really feel like I'm up to speed. Yeah. And that's the worry is, is will you not have four or five competitive matches before the world cup with the group of guys? Cause again, back to the point, I can stay in rhythm with a friendly, but I can't get into rhythm from a friendly. There it is a man who knows. And by the way, uh, I would hope one of these three can break through, but it, it's hard to envision that with Manchester City. They may have the best keeper you're in the league. You're almost hoping for an injury, which well, you don't hope. Yeah, or, or, with Arsenal, injured. I would say maybe they get to the Champions League and that might open some time for Matt Turner. I mean, they, they want you, him to be. You show me, Max, what team in the world rotates any player <laughs> from league to Champions League to whatever. Yes, you know, you're you right. Cup competition. But there's a reason why Messi and Ronaldo were playing 70 games a year because yeah. you just couldn't afford to not play them. It's just it's just, it's, it's it's difficult. Even uh, Nottingham Forest, this Brees Samba guy has his penalty shootout from the heavens, making uh, the decision to make him the number one of, over Horvath even more crystal clear. But well, there's time, right? Well, I mean, yeah. there's there's plenty of time. Uh, There'll be something good that comes out of it, I'm sure. It'll come out, but but the key is for me the bigger issue will be injuries will be when you miss, we, we have a squad within the U S squad. Yeah. Yeah. That you can't miss key players. Um, you know, we, we've obviously seen the difficult season that Gio Reyna's had, you know, through injury uh, Pulisic with different times looks like he's kind of come out of that injury cycle. That but he, you always hold your breath. But, but yeah, he, he's a, another key guy, obviously, Weston McKinney coming out of uh, 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 an injury. Uh, Serginho Dest. Dest coming out of an injury. Uh, so, I would put Chris Richards. They say he's coming back, but these are all injuries. And that's again, a lot. It's it, a it, lot of guys. You know, but, but where I look at a Chris Richards and you say, how much easier is it for a Chris Richards to break back into the Hoffenheim side as opposed that if he was still at Bayern Munich, getting the odd game here and there. So uh, it'll be interesting to see as well. You know, oh, <laughs> the dog's excited. Um, I'm not paying the dog for any podcast uh, appearances. Yeah. All right. No, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how the um, you know how the uh, how the squad's able to cope with the odd injuries. So, uh, is, is there any concerns with this team? As it stands, I think Greg's done a real look. I would have liked to have qualified up more comfortably for the World Cup yeah. for as a national team. Sure. I, I think there are some tactics that didn't match up with the players, but I think Greg's done a fantastic job getting these guys in, getting them familiar with each other, building a confidence. There's certainly a, a good chemistry and vibe with this group, and they've been through this process. So they're right. so much better off than they were seven, eight months ago when they started all of this. So yeah. It, it, this group that we see, it's going to be the group that's going to World yeah. Cup. I, yeah. I was mentioning, I think of the 20, say 26 players, if they do have an expanded roster, 18 or 19 have been already locked in. The rest determines. I think um, that's normal for yeah. most squads. You're, right. you're going you're to have a really good idea of three quarters of your team. Now, obviously, you then want to have guys available if so-and-so goes down or you know, what are these different positions? Uh, can, can, is there the odd player that can cover a couple positions for me? And, you know, yeah, there's, there's, there's all part of that. Um, 
but it is, it, it's, it's, it's tricky when you're, when you're talking about, again, you know, a, a group of guys, and it happens almost every World Cup squad where a couple guys come out of nowhere. They didn't, they weren't involved in any of the qualifiers. They weren't involved in anything. The U.S. needs that at the right positions, hopefully. <laughs> well, and, and, and if they emerge, I mean, I'm pretty sure in 2002, DeMarcus Beasley didn't play in any of the qualifiers or, and kind of came in at the last minute. And, you know, it, so it happens and it happens successful. Obviously in 14, it was Julian Green who was a surprise, but then got his opportunity and scored a goal, right? So you, you have those moments. Now we're looking at, you know, a couple kids that got called into this squad who chose the U.S. or whatever. But look, but these are, this is the only opportunity Greg's going to have to really look at them at this stage. And is it asking a lot for somebody who has had no experience with the national team, hasn't been a part of anything in helping secure the team to go to the World Cup. I, I, and, and then the other part, Max, is in a 26-man roster, there's going to be six to eight guys that don't play. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if not more. Yeah, if not more. If you're lucky, right? Yeah. Because that means your crew is, is performing well and staying injury-free. Um, so sometimes you're filling out a squad with ideas, knowing that they're probably not going to play. But yeah. what will the attitude be like? What is the, you know, are they going to be a problem if they're not playing? Are they going to be, are they going to be bought in and just helping the team do whatever it needs to be? Is it somebody that you're putting them in this World Cup with an eye as experience for the next world cup is it a guy that that's had two world cups experience and now i want that experience in my squad to help everybody else out um yeah so there's a lot of different factors involved with when you're picking that squad more so you're you're 15 to 16 that are going to play the majority of the minutes if they're fit those are easy yeah it's the rest of it where you're. you're but that's a real interesting uh, comment you make because it needs to have it ha needs to create a positive energy with guys that aren't going to play, or maybe yep. it's like you're here to learn. You're here to see. We we, right. we this is going to be you in four years. You're going to be a yep. future guy. Watch Christian Pulisic. Watch how he handles himself. But again, that has to be a meticulous selection process. So I we, we don't really talk about that enough. There. Are, there are two positions I think that are, are of concern. There's uh, obviously getting some cover at, at left back is a little bit further down, but Miles Robinson out. Who do you bring in if it is in fact alongside Walker Zimmerman? And then the other one is who's the number nine because that's kind of been thrown out of whack with right. with Ricardo Pepe not called in as uh, Greg Berhalter said. He just needs some time off, which he probably does, so he can prepare for a preseason and get it right with Augsburg. You would hope. He'd still be a candidate, but there's Jesus Vadeda, and then Haji Wright comes in. It feels like that position, those are two positions that there's going to be competition for Look, in this June camp. You know what? It's right now, and this is no disrespect to anybody who's in that position now, but there, you mentioned there isn't a marquee number nine. There isn't a guy, there isn't a, a – you know, a Brian McBride or a Josie Altador when he was, you know, the number nine for, for Germany before, I'm uh, sorry, for Brazil before he got injured uh, in that first game. So, but even the question mark then was, what happens if Josie goes down because there was nobody else? Um, it's, a, it's a tough scenario right now for Greg because nobody's proven, nobody's at a biggish club scoring goals. Um, so you're, you're really hoping that somebody catches form at the right time. And we've seen that at times where different teams in world cups, who's this guy scoring goals. Right. And then the scary part is sometimes they never score another goal. They just happen to be the right person at the right time. And, and it clicked for a country and a club and a manager and, and, and the fans and, and, and everything else. But it is, it's a, right now it, it's, it's a wide open position. And unfortunately it's 
probably going to a position coming into that first game in the World Cup where there's really no answer. It's let's hope this guy can get the job done because I don't see any of the guys that you forementioned getting themselves to a big club and scoring a bunch of goals in between now and November. Yeah. So, I mean, Josh Sargent's another one. We just don't know what's next. Right. Well, but then know. what happened with Josh is, you know, Josh got then moved out wide and wasn't even playing up front because he was such a good team guy, just working hard and doing whatever the team needed. Uh, and, and, you know, Pookie was going to score the goals for Norwich, what little goals they were going to score. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's obviously tough, uh, scenario. And like I said, there's no, there's no plug and play. There's nobody there that you're going, okay. Yeah. Oh, here's, here's the U S equivalent of Robert Lewandowski. There you go. (laughs) It's just not, it just isn't there. And uh, look, France won a world cup without a center four that was scoring goals. Yeah, but did you see their midfield? Yes, I know. But I know. <laughs> we're, not, we're, gonna, we're not talking about USA winning a World Cup. But I right. figure if they score five, six goals, that might be good enough to get them close to a quarterfinal. So that's maybe a couple well, goals for well, a number I, nine. I, maybe because, I mean, in, in, you know, when, when I look, at, look back, you know, at the World Cups that I was a part of, you know, you're really looking at scoring a goal or two, right? Per game. Per, if you're lucky. Yeah. If you're lucky, um, we went through in 2002, you know, because a three, two game, you know, which got you three points. Right? It was one, one, didn't score one, a goal in a three nil. We lost to, so no goal. So they got through needed, with four goals and needed a favor from Korea to score a last minute goal against against portugal or we were out yeah four points four goals usually does the job I was just saying, that's, that gives you a chance that gives you as a long chance as you don't concede a whole bunch right but uh-huh. uh because even even let's go back to germany okay we had a we had a tough day you know against czech republic who at the time i think were the fifth yeah ranked country you know but we go from one nil claudio hits the inside of the post and then we get counterattacked and Rosicki scores what's what a memory on you, Casey. Considered the second or third best goal of the tournament. And we're like two nil down at halftime going. How did that happen? We were a half an inch away from being one-one to then being two down. Then okay, then we battle and we get the good result against Italy, who then goes on to be the champions. But then you're playing against a Ghana where you know we we can see the goal and then we're given then Ghana were given a phantom penalty before half. And you're like, once again, how the hell are we two nil down in this game? So, so unless bad memory, bad memories. Yeah. So, but, (laughs) but, but Max, to your point, unless you have a squad that can win three, two, which is what we were able to do against Portugal in 2002, it's that hard to pick up three points. Do you have, is this U.S. squad, and let's look at some of those teams that you had to play against back in the day. The Portugals, the Germanys, the Ghanas, the, yeah. Are those, do we have a squad that's grinding out one-nil wins against those teams? Mm. So mm. There, there also has to I be don't know. A, a realism about who we are and, and what we can accomplish. Um you know, in 98, losing 2-0 to Germany in the first game, okay, big deal. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, so, yeah, there's there's times when, yeah, we could have very easily beat it, Iran 4-1, 4-2 that day. We hit the post, we hit, you know, every, every, you know, so sometimes you also need that little bit of luck. Casey, fantastic stuff my friend a wealth of knowledge and taking us down memory lane and i could visualize those moments i wish you didn't bring up the check game but we all have to yeah i'm, I'm me too okay <laughs> but you did it but uh, i had to go quickly to the italian game so yes you did you did yeah. Yeah. but i know we'll, we'll, we'll continue to talk about this as we're getting forward but always great to have a combo with you my friend thanks max anytime casey keller here in the business m we'll be right back with stoppage time here on the soccer og
We are back. Time now for stoppage time. And we've talked about perceptions from you know, the epicenter of football, which is England, and how they are appalled about why something might happen in Mexico and something happens in South America that would never happen in England. Uh, tactics that are used that are uh, just unacceptable in the English game. Well, there's a social issue developing here, and it's not an isolated incident. There's a big problem in England. Now, we know about the history of the, the hooligan and the, the problems that that caused. And England did a really good job to shed that, to stop glorifying it. I mean, that stuff still exists. There's hooligans in every part of the world. You just call them by a different name. And they have a social life that is around this club, and it includes a lot of violence. If that's against one against uh, one person against another on these clubs without affecting the club, without affecting the players, that's one thing. But what's happening here is beyond shocking. And look, let's go through the incidents. Billy Sharp, striker for Sheffield United, standing on the sideline after Nottingham Forest got through in the promotional playoffs. Fan runs full bore, headbutts him, looked really violent, just awful. That was the first. Uh, the man who's there is now in jail, and I hope he's there for a long time because that was uh, a vicious assault. That was intent to really harm somebody. Look, you get temp- you get a headbutt in the temple. That could be a game changer for your life. Everton, Goodison Park, they get the victory to avoid relegation. Crystal Palace manager Patrick Vieira trying to leave the field. Fan comes up, gives him the middle finger, insults him, insults him. Vieira just snaps and kicks him. And I could not support Patrick Vieira more for that. And there were some people saying, he can't do that. I go, wait a minute. Why is that fan on the field? And by the way, with all, well, we'll go through the four instances. And there are four. And there's probably more that I'm not even touching on. So you have the one at Nottingham Forest. You have the one at Goodison Park. Port Vale in a League Two playoff game against Swindon Town. Players attacked by Port Vale supporters rushing onto the field. Episode 3. Sunday, Manchester City, just winning the Premier League, invade the field. And video of Robin Olsen, the goalkeeper of Aston Villa, being attacked from every different angle. Having stewards draped all over him trying to get him off the field. Uh, the English FA looking into eradicating antisocial behavior. Um, it was grotesque. Um, it was... Something about Steven Gerrard addressed it after the game. And he said, which, I mean, he, he, he goes, did everyone get off the field all right? He goes, my goalkeeper was attacked. Those are questions that you should ask Pep and Man City. Oof. And this does, this is, a, this falls in the lap of the club. And the clubs are the ones who should be punished because it's their facility. I don't know how you can prevent thousands of fans running on. You've got to talk to them in advance. You've got to prevent it. Remember, in, you know, uh, Gary Neville Great, great with Sky Sports, and he said we've we've come so far as a society where we broke down fences. Remember, they had fences around these stadiums so people couldn't go in. But now these grotesque episodes, time and time again. And by the way, I am a believer not to walk on those fields. Those are holy ground. I really respect this sport, and I respect the groundskeepers. And I've met so many of them, and the work they put in to make those fields look as good as possible, especially at that level. I mean, those are the best of the best. Don't mess with the grounds. Don't step foot on, don't set, you don't deserve to set foot on there. I don't deserve to set foot on there. That is for the players. That is for the managers. Think of that as a, the, you know, the, the, the grail. You can't touch it or else your face will melt off like in Indiana Jones. So it's, it goes beyond that. They don't care about the field. And people say, well, it's a few jerks, but don't run on the field. And that's not a few jerks. That's everyone. I mean, they were just camping out at the Etihad. So, what can you do? Uh, look, if this happens, you just got to have a zero tolerance and say, this happens again, we're playing in an empty stadium. We just played in empty stadiums. No one wants to play in an empty stadium. There's a huge dollar sign attached. The clubs would, uh, would be crushed by that. So, don't wreck it for your club. But that has got to happen. And it will happen if this happens, continues to happen, even though this is at the end of the season. This all occurred because no one runs on the field except in deciders. Playoff games, trophy-winning moments. I just don't think you can kind of hand down and say we got to find these people. Go, no, look at the field. Look in Germany, they didn't do this. They ran on the field, which they should. I, I think you have to have zero tolerance across. No more running on the field. 
It's terrifying. We're so lucky someone didn't get really badly hurt. So no more um, fending it off. It's worse in your neck of the woods. No more passing the buck. The English game has to fix this. And it's an embarrassment. Soccer OG podcast. Thanks for your support. Rate, review, leave a comment. Tell a friend. We're coming big this summer. Got some road trips ahead. Join me. Thanks to Casey Keller. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. On behalf of all of the people that make this possible, we'll see you next time. Placido Domingo.